You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. Presidential candidates were first chosen by national conventions in 1832, but few people were allowed in. Well, television has changed all that. You can sit in with ABC News at the Republican National Convention. Beginning tonight. Say the slogan is more positive, that it suggests the, the idea of not changing horses in midstream, which was used, I think, during the Roosevelt campaigns in the 40s, during the war. And it is also, they say, a subtle jab at the McGovern campaign and what they regard as a Democrat's radicalism. Now that they have nominated McGovern, we need Nixon more than ever. Senator J. Strom Thurmond of South Carolina. Senator Thurmond, you played a great part in, in Richard Nixon's nomination four years ago. Are you happy with the progress of things here today? Yes, the only vote we've had by roll call was the one on the rules, and uh, that came out very well. The, the committee report was uh, sustained, and I think it's fair to the big states and the little ones, too. Well, let me if ask you this. Change it, I don't think it would have been fair to the small states. Does this mean that the power of small southern states like yours is on the rise or on the fall historically? Well, I, I think it's a good division of power there between them. In other words, I think it's a fair compromise. It wouldn't have been if the rule had been adopted that was offered on the floor today. Do you think that most southern states are happy uh, about what's going to happen four years from now, let's say? Well, I think so. The South this year, I predict, will go for Nixon. I predict every state will go for Nixon. I think the Republican Party is going to grow in the South. And I think in 1976, we can elect another Republican president. Thank you very much. Talking to Senator J. Strom Thurmond, who says it's going to be a solid South of Richard Nixon. This is Douglas Kiker now up to the booth. Thank you. We are um, expecting shortly the beginning of the nominating process for President Nixon, re-nominating process. And Governor Rockefeller, as you know, will deliver the nominating speech. There will be others, they will vote, the balloons will fall, and tonight's business essentially will have been done. The platform, of course, was adopted earlier without any difficulty. I think maybe, John, for the record, we ought to put here that the, uh, that the American Independent Party, which is George Wallace's party, its candidate this year, John Schmitz, California, a member of Congress, says he has managed to reduce his platform to two points. One, enter no foreign wars unless you intend to win them. And two, people who work should live better than those who don't. We'll be back in a moment after this message from Gulf. Welcome to Bridging the Political Gap. I'm Randall Wallace, and let me just tell you up front, I love conventions. It's one of my favorite things of the entire political uh, 
run. I love to watch them and, and to see all the excitement and the celebration of democracy is what I always, it's something I heard Peter Jennings say one time and I, and I've always believed that. And this is an extraordinary moment. Uh, you know, they, they try to tell you what are the high points of a career, but there's no question that, that this should be in my mind, it most likely was the high point of Richard Nixon's uh, entire career because it is the crowning achievement at this convention. It is totally his. And, uh, you know, he had such an extraordinary career, such a huge uh, uh, impact on the country. And he's going to get repaid for all that he did do. He inherits a mess, he fixes it, and he's going to win 49 states. Uh, And this is that moment. Uh, at the convention where you see that this is a runaway train, uh, but it's it's interesting to watch it. And I like I said, I love conventions. I love the roll call, of the states, and the acceptance speeches, and the videos, and all of that. And so we're gonna we're gonna really enjoy the next two episodes, looking back at the 1972 Republican National Convention, because as I have jokingly said, the 72 Democratic Convention is a, a, a testament to what not to do. I mean, their candidate spoke at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, they were undecided going in. Uh, and, of course, 68 is just, you know, it is what it is. But this one is, this one's so well run that it's almost boring to anybody who doesn't really love conventions. And you can hear it in the in the voices of the commentators. But for the most part, it's going to be John Chancellor and David Brinkley on the footage that I've saved here. But um, it's really interesting to see this unfold and watch President Nixon be nominated for a second term as president of the United States. Really since about 1947 or 1948, we all have been reading about and thinking about Richard Nixon. It's quite a quite an accomplishment in politics and it's unparalleled. We tend to forget that, I think. Unparalleled by almost any other politician on the national scene. The men in the Senate who run the great committees of the Senate uh, and have been in public life longer than Nixon, many of them, still have not risen to his degree of political prominence within the Republican Party and around the world. It's a, it's a record that is worth noting and is worth thinking about. A very, very long political record. As, as I say, as many times running for national office as Franklin Roosevelt did. People tend to forget that Roosevelt ran for the vice presidency in 1920. And lost. And lost. And Nixon has had his share of losses. He had a disastrous loss in 1962, when, having lost the presidency to John Kennedy in 1960 by a whisker, he went to California to campaign for governor and waged a disastrous campaign. He's had a lot of close elections in his life. 1968 won by seven-tenths of one percent of the vote over Hubert Humphrey, but he won that one. And the polls all say he has a very good chance of winning this one. And tonight, here in this hall, Richard Nixon will do something that very, very few other Americans have ever accomplished, to be nominated by his political party to run for the presidency for the third time. The last time he came into this hall, John, the same hall, in uh, four years ago, he was a New York lawyer who had been out of office, who had been defeated president, defeated the governor of California, was a member of the uh, law firm of, what was it, Nixon, Mudge, Rose, Guthrie, Mitchell, and Alexander. He left, took him, taking Mitchell with him, leaving behind Mudge, Rose, Guthrie, and Alexander. 
all by themselves up there in that New York law firm. Now it's Mitchell, Mudge, Mitchell. Rose, <laughs> and Alexander. I can't remember <laughs> as well as you can all those names. But yes, he was in oblivion. He changed states. He went from California and moved his base politics to New York. And the man who will nominate him now, tonight, Governor Nelson Rockefeller of New York, is one of Richard Nixon's oldest political associates and one of his oldest political foes. And they fought and vied for nominations in this party and for influence in this party for many, many years. A few conventions ago, there was a bad fight on the platform. <clears throat> Senate, a man named Chuck Percy from Bell and Howell, now Senator Percy from Illinois, was the chairman of the platform committee. And there was trouble. And Richard Nixon went to Fifth Avenue to the apartment of Governor Nelson Rockefeller, and they made what everybody called the Pact of Fifth Avenue. Chuck Percy didn't know anything about it, I believe, at that time, showing the political agility of both of these men who have spent many, many years of their lives thinking and worrying about each other. And as an example of the urge for unity in the Republican Party, Governor Rockefeller will put President Nixon's name in nomination here. The completion of this call, the chair will recognize those states who have indicated an intention to place a name and nomination. They'll call the roll of the Under states to see who has a, a nomination total to make. Time. There's only one, of I course. Emphasize the total time. For nominating speeches and seconding speeches for any candidate for president shall not exceed 15 minutes. Members of this great Republican convention, fellow Americans, four years ago, we met here in Miami. America was torn by violence at home. America was in deep trouble abroad. Inflation was eating away at the hard-earned wages and lifetime savings of those who have built America. There were riots in our cities. There was chaos on the campuses. Grim, escalating war was claiming the lives of thousands of Americans, young Americans, and was tearing our nation apart. That same grim war was straining our ties with the rest of the world. Faith in America itself was being questioned, not only by people overseas, but by Americans here at home. Today, we meet in happier circumstances. Certainly, serious and complex difficulties still confront us. But there is renewed confidence in America abroad. And even more important, renewed confidence in America by Americans here at home. This has been due, importantly, to one man, our president.
This has been achieved by his determination and decisive leadership. His experienced handling of the staggering problems which he inherited four years ago. Four years ago, there were 550,000 American fighting men in South Vietnam. Today, there are less than 40,000. ago, inflation raged uncontrolled in an overheated war economy. Today, with wage price controls and the rapid progress towards a peacetime economy, the rate of inflation has already been cut in half. Four years ago, the Soviet Union and the United States appeared to be on a collision course. Today, we're working together in science, in technology, in health, in environment, in outer space, and in trade. Four years ago, there was a great wall between mainland China and America. Today, we are in productive and increasingly active communications. Four years ago, daily shelling and raiding in the Middle East threatened another world war. Today, U.S.-sponsored ceasefire has been in effect two years, and there is hope for peace. Four years ago, we were headed towards environmental disaster. Today, the whole nation is mobilizing to protect and restore our environment. In each instance, the president has met these crises through decisive action. Thank you. At the same time, he has acted to meet the challenge of change. The president recognized that the patterns of the past, the concepts of the past, and the establishments of the past were no longer adequate to meet the needs of today and the challenges of tomorrow. And so four years ago, he set out to achieve fundamental changes in our concepts and relations, both internationally and here at home. He brought new initiatives and new programs, federal revenue sharing to strengthen state and local government services for the people, welfare reform to help those in need and to protect the taxpayers, reorganization of the bureaucratic federal grant and aid system to cut waste and red tape, the restructuring of the federal government itself to make it more manageable and more responsive to human needs, and most significantly, with his deep concern for people and their changing problems, the President has completely revised our nation's priorities. In 1948, 
He inherited a federal budget which allocated 45% for national defense and only 32% for human resources. Today, four years later, he has completely revised and reversed the emphasis. With 45% of the federal budget for human resources, and 32% for national defense. While others merely wrung their hands, he had the courage and the ability to face the hard realities, to initiate new approaches, and to bring about solutions. While others despaired, he worked to end the war in Vietnam. He stood firm in the Middle East. He traveled to Peking. He journeyed to Moscow. And while others felt, dealt with vague generalities about disarmament, he made the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty a reality. In short, the President has brought us to the threshold of a generation of peace. even as he works and plans for a century of peace ahead. This is skilled management and leadership of a high order. It is this leadership and these accomplishments that bring me before you at this convention to make a nomination. This country and the world need the continued leadership of our president. I say to you, delegates, and to you, my fellow citizens of America, we need this man. of action, this man of accomplishments, this man of experience, this man of courage, this man of faith in America. It is my great honor to nominate Richard Nixon for re-election as the next President of the United States. keep you informed about everything. At this moment, there are men up in the catwalks at the top of the auditorium, standing with their hands on strings, ready to turn loose the balloons. It happens, it will happen, when Mr. Nixon gets enough votes to nominate him, and that will be when Missouri votes. It'll be a few minutes.
the actual nomination and selection. Governor Rockefeller gave a classic nominating speech where the president mentioning his name at the end. <clears throat> there is one innovation that will be coming here in a few minutes. There will be 11 seconding speeches at one minute each. They haven't started yet, so we'll pause for this word and go. There are a number of seconders. We've just had the first, a 19-year-old college student who's the mayor of Emmitsburg, Iowa. They are speaking from the floor. As we come to the close of the seconding of the nomination on behalf of President Nixon, we are calling upon one of our great present-day heroes in our nation, a man who stirred the soul, and I really mean it, of America when he read those ringing words of the Bible from a far corner of the universe and who has helped our nation to explore outer space and to conquer that universe. He's not only an astronaut par excellence, he is an outstanding citizen. And the chair is honored to recognize Mr. Frank Borman from the state of Florida. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. As a former participant in this country's space program, I can assure you all that none of our triumphs were casual in nature. I, it's equally obvious, I think, that the resurgence of confidence and capabilities that we've seen in the past four years in this country were not due to the swing of some mysterious pendulum. They were due to the efforts, the dedication of the American people, ably led by President Nixon. And in the most demanding of jobs, he's persevered, he's succeeded, he's triumphed. But even more important to me, is his concept of this country's destiny, his belief that freedom and peace on this small but precious planet we call Earth is directly dependent on the moral and physical strength of the United States of America. I second the nomination of President Nixon. Frank Foreman, that concludes the seconding speeches on behalf of President Nixon. The time has come for the roll call of the states for the selection of a nominee for President of the United States, as required by Rule 16. Well, while they're getting to that, they may not have quotas in the Republican Party, but they can balance things. Of the 11 seconders for President Nixon, the four were women, seven were men. Two were Democrats, nine were Republicans, one a, uh, a conservative Senate senator, one Spanish-speaking American, one Polish-American, one young black, one young white, one labor leader, and one astronaut. It is called the politics of leaving no stone unturned. We'll be back after this word from Gulf.
This is Randall Wallace, uh, your host for Bridging the Political Gap. I want to thank you first for tuning in to our podcast and invite you to come to our website, randallwallace.com. There you can get a copy of our book, Always Vote Your Conscience, Don't Take It Personally, and Don't Fight the Same Old Battles Over and Over Again, with a lot of policy suggestions and things that I think everyone can embrace, an argument for why we need to be working together instead of fighting with each other. Also, you can take a look at the first 11 episodes of this podcast, which was a podcast documentary that looked at the World War II generation of bipartisan leadership that built the American century and the lessons we can learn from them to apply to today's situations. Again, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And if you've enjoyed our show, please leave us a review at wherever you get your podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. The roll call has begun. Five states have cast their ballots so far, all for Richard Nixon. California, the most recent. Let's go down now where Colorado is the next state. 96 votes for President Richard M. Nixon. Winter Olympics proudly cast 20 votes for Richard M. Nixon for next president. Colorado, 20 votes for Richard Nixon. Connecticut, 22 votes. Madam Chairman, Connecticut, the Constitution State, historically the first state to report its election results to the nation a state which will elect Richard Nixon on November is proud to cast 22 votes for President Nixon. Connecticut, 22 votes for Richard Nixon. Mr. Chairman, the Mississippi delegation and the people of the great state of Mississippi proudly cast their 14 votes for the greatest party in this land and the greatest president. Mississippi, 14 votes for Richard Nixon. Missouri, 30 votes. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, Missouri, the show me state, shows its regard for Senator Tom Eagleton, by proudly casting all its 30 votes to assure the renomination and ultimate re-election of President Richard M. Nixon. That put him over.
the balloons as outlined on the convention master schedule. That was supposed to have dropped at this point. One of the few things that didn't go as planned or as scheduled in the convention. Maybe they're going to hold them. I think they are until they officially announce the result when the roll call is over. They have a demonstration scheduled there. Anyway, Missouri did it. Everybody in the hall on their feet. The president and Key Biscayne looking at this. Mrs. Armstrong will continue the call of the states. Thank you very much. Missouri cast 30 votes for Richard Nixon. Montana, 14 votes. Madam Chairman, Montana, the land of the big sky, the state that has endorsed Richard Nixon every time he has sought national office. 1952. Montana was there, 1956, 1960, 1968, and for the fifth sweep of Montana, I'm backed up by the Blackfeet for Nixon Club and Bill Big Spring with his Indian headdress as we cast all 14 votes once again for Richard M. Nixon. Montana, 14 votes for Richard Nixon. Mr. Chairman, this completes the calling of the roll. I think that we have given our convention and our country a great nominee for president. Thank you, Mr. Will the delegates please come to order? The vote of all the delegates has been recorded. The vote for Richard Nixon is 1,347. The vote for Paul McCloskey is one. And therefore, I declare the nominee of the Republican Party for President of the United States, President Richard Nixon.
that Senator Brock was talking about. They have balloons filled with helium brought in in those big plastic refuse bags and released. demonstration has been going on now for about six or seven minutes, and it shows no sign of abating at all. Cute little sign down there. A lot of very attractive young people carrying a long, handmade banner. It looks as if it might be a motel sheet. And painted on it, it says, NBC, CBS, and ABC, we paid our own way. <laughs> that says Minerva and Wisdom for Nixon. Whittier College for Nixon. I think this is, what, 12 conventions? The wildest de demonstration I've ever seen. Members of this great convention, the President of the United States, is at the Marine Stadium, and we will have the privilege of seeing him at the Marine Stadium on the big screen, Pre the President of the United States. The surprise he was talking about was that Mr. Nixon is going to appear at a, at a stadium here in Miami, not this hall, and the delegates will be able to see him on uh, the uh, big screens up behind the podium. And you'll be able to see him at home, those of you who are watching there, uh, because we, I think, are going to have some uh, pictures from there ourselves. The Miami Marine Stadium, there it is, you see it on your screen right now. Sammy Davis has been entertaining there. They've had a kind of show business gala and rock concert going there all evening. And that is where the president is supposed to arrive. It is not far from his home in Key Biscayne, which is an island connected by a causeway to the city of Miami. back in the hall now, waiting for the president, who was nominated, the roll call ended about 15 minutes ago, um, to make his way to this party they're having in a stadium in Miami. There it is again on your screen. No, this is in the hall, I believe. These are the closed-circuit television this screen. Pictures up behind the podium. And this is, this is in the convention hall. How do you suppose they got all those bags of balloons in the hall past the security men who insist on opening everything? If you open those bags, the balloons escape. You don't suppose they could figure that one out. All those thousands of balloons. <laughs> In the hall, the delegates are listening to the sound from the Marine Stadium concert. And that is quieting the delegates down a bit. They're turning the lights out in the hall.
pictures of the president. There he is now. These are pictures from Marine Stadium. They're also directly on your screen at home from NBC. And in the hall, by their own system, up on a big, a three big television projection screens. The delegates are now standing around singing, waving their banners, and watching pictures, listening to music. Mr. Nixon's family, Mrs. Nixon, Mrs. Koch, her husband, Mrs. Eisenhower, uh, are here in Convention Hall in Miami Beach. Traditionally, of course, a presidential nominee does not come into the hall usually until he makes his acceptance speech. And Mr. Nixon will do that tomorrow night.
sometimes on evenings like this when a man is nominated for the presidency, you see him sitting in his hotel suite looking somber and thoughtful and thinking long thoughts about the country. This is quite a different image that we've been presented with tonight. You nearly always see that. Sitting in front of the television set, seeing himself nominated. Looking somber. Davis, all of those who have entertained here so splendidly at this program I understand earlier, and to all of you who are attending this young voters rally at a time. As I was driving over here, from my home in Key Biscayne. As you know, it is the custom. It is the custom that anyone who was nominated for the presidency does not appear at the convention until after the nomination, and consequently, I have not been there except to see it on television. But as I was driving over, the thought occurred to me that this was one of those moments in history that has never happened before and that will never happen again. I do not mean by that that I have not been nominated before. As a matter of fact, I was nominated in 1952 and 56 for vice president. And I have twice had the honor of being nominated for president, and tonight makes it the third time. But here now... And now, to put this all in the historical context, all of you know that this is the first time in the 195-year proud history of America that young voters, 18 to 21, are going to participate in the election decision. And I believe that it is particularly appropriate that the first appearance of the President of the United States after his nomination be made before first voters who voting as you are. Coming in, I was stopped by one of the fine television commentators, commentator for ABC Network, and he asked me, as we were trying to talk over the rather, shall we say, quiet audience at the moment, he asked me, 
what was going to happen to the youth vote. He said he was beginning to wonder whether I had concluded that perhaps the estimates that the youth vote was just automatically going to go to our opponents might be a little high. I can say this. And I want to give you an answer that I want you to think about a bit. I don't think the youth vote is in anybody's pocket. I don't think it ever will be. I think young people are not likely to vote party label. I think they're going to vote what they believe in. They're going to be independent. I think the young people of America are going to listen to both candidates. They're casting their first vote. They want it to be a good vote. We've got just as good a shot at it as the other side, and we're going to get it with your help. Now, I want to express appreciation to all of the celebrities. That's the word we use for them, for Sammy Davis Jr. and the marvelous groups that you've been hearing here, for Pam Powell. And I want to ask all of you to realize what it means for them to be here. Now, my business is the business of politics. It's a very honored business. I hope lots of you get into it, maybe full time. But I want you to know that when you're in politics, you assume, you have to under our system, that what you're trying to do is to get somewhat over half the vote. And the other man or woman, as the case might be, is going to get somewhat less than half. Now, in show business, which is Sammy Davis's junior, Sammy Davis Jr. business, and the business of others who are here, they are not trying to get half. They're trying to please everybody. And so you see, when somebody in show business comes and participates in a political rally, he or she is doing something that is a very great personal sacrifice and even a personal risk. I heard on Monday night one of the television commentators questioned Sammy Davis Jr. when he was sitting there with Mrs. Nixon in the presidential box. He pointed out what I had known and which Sammy Davis of course quickly agreed with, that he had been a very enthusiastic supporter of President Kennedy when we ran against each other in 1960. He said he was still a very good friend of the Kennedy family. And then the commentator said, what is your reaction, Sammy, to the fact that many people who have been your friends and your supporters, perhaps many who think you're great in show business, think maybe that you've turned against them and that you've done so, as he put it, you sort of sold out because you were invited to the White House to see the president. Well, just let me give you the answer. You aren't going to buy Sammy Davis Jr. by inviting him to the White House. You're going to buy him by doing something for America. And that is what we will do. When I, and when Sammy... And when Sammy and I and his wife were chatting there that day, 
I want you to know it was one of the most moving experiences for me, and I hope it was for him. We talked about our backgrounds. We both came from rather poor families. We both have done rather well. And And I know Sammy is a member of the other party. I didn't know when I talked to him what he would be doing in this election campaign. But I do know this. I want to make this pledge to Sammy. I want to make it to everybody here, whether you happen to be black or white or young or old and all of those who are listening. I believe in the American dream. Sammy Davis believes in it. We believe in it because we've seen it come true in our own lives. But I can assure you, my friends, that the American dream can't be fully realized until every person in this country has an equal chance to see it come true in his life. Today, today, I pledge to you, we have worked toward that goal over the past four years. We're going to work toward it over the next four years. I want you to know that we're grateful for the celebrities who have stuck their necks out, stuck their necks out, taken the chance as they have that they might lose some support because they realize it's important to get into a campaign that affects their future and the future of their country and the future of their children. And now I'd like to just close on one note about you. This is your first election campaign. It will not be your last. I know that many of you will go into public service. I hope all of you will continue to participate in politics. As you go along, some of you will go into business. Some of you may go into show business. Some of you may go into some other kind of activity where somebody's going to come up to you one election year and say, I'll stay out of the campaign because you might risk some money. You might risk some customers or clients or whatever the case might be. And I just want to urge you, don't ever do that. Because what you do for America is more important than anything you do for yourself. That is what you do. And I want all of you, the young voters of America listening here and those who might be listening on television now, simply to know this. I've been trying to work for your future. We've had some disappointments, but we've had some successes, and I'm going to talk about both tomorrow as I make the acceptance speech. But should the opportunity come to serve four more years, I'm not going to be resting on what we've done in the past. I'm going to thinking, be thinking of these wonderful young faces I see out here, your enthusiasm, your idealism, your hard work. This is your first vote. And years from now, I just hope you can all look back and say it was one of your best votes. Thank you.
about all over here for tonight. There are a few more ceremonies in the hall, but nothing, not too much left. A few minutes. We'll be back after this message from God. The chairman, Jerry Ford of Michigan, is now announcing the appointment of a committee to notify President Nixon that he has been nominated. We have reason to believe he already knows it. But nevertheless, that is the form that is routinely followed in all cases. The committee will call on him, give him the news, and tell him that they expect to hear a few appropriate words from him here in this hall tomorrow night, a time and a place at which he will no doubt appear. That the, he was nominated, as you said, by 1,347 to 1. As for that one vote, some of the delegates from New Mexico were a little irritated that they had to cast it under state law, they did, because Representative McCloskey won a percentage of the vote and was entitled to one delegate, one vote, so they had to give it to him. The uh, chairman, I believe it was, or one of the members said his idea of not withdrawing the vote so as to make it unanimous was childish. We asked McCloskey about that, and he said, not me, not while the bombing is going on. So the one vote for him was cast. <clears throat> this session is adjourned now. There's only one left. John, in watching this one today and tonight, it seemed to me there's one thing that, regardless of party, is true of all conventions, and there's something very American about it, in the best sense. Very exuberant, colorful, expensive, wasteful, time-consuming, energetic, noisy, working somehow, nevertheless. The, uh, plus a lot of Chamber of Commerce free advertising, tourist promotion, and boosterism. And while they were calling a roll, I kept a few notes here on some of the little plugs. <laughs> some of the little plugs we heard, and they include the land of the midnight sun, the Winter Olympics, where America's day begins, paradise of the Pacific, the home of the National Committee Chairman, the offshore oil industry, beautiful Chesapeake Bay, a delegation of 50% women, Big Sky, the birthplace of Pat Nixon, the showplace of the Caribbean, and Virginia is for lovers. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's pretty good. It is the renomination of the sitting president. He and his people do and ought to control the party. And uh, they have things their own way, particularly when you're 26 points ahead in the polls, as Mr. Nixon is. There was no really serious challenge to him, and the mechanics of the situation were such that yeah, there wouldn't have been. Anyway, the balloons didn't go off on time, but just about everything else did, even with Mr. Nixon's
Thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on, on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again, and so long for now.